Sometimes just coming to church and singing the hymns and hearing the special music. And isn't that precious? Uh, just these songs and encouragement. And uh, I need the encouragement that comes uh, from this. And uh, thank you, Brother Daniel, for the singing tonight. And, and thank you, ladies, for the special tonight uh, here. Uh, what a blessing that is. Let's, uh, let's go in our Bibles tonight to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 37. We're going to read a portion of uh, God's Word out of that chapter and then we'll focus largely, just kind of um, rehearse a little bit of what we dealt with on Sunday night and then uh, carry on into some new territory. Uh, one of the things that becomes so evident in this portion of Scripture that we're dealing with is that God is faithful. Uh, He's always faithful. Uh, he will never lie. He will always keep His promises. We can always trust in the Lord. And the Bible teaches that if we believe not, yet He abideth faithful. Uh, there are many promises in the Bible that are conditional. They're based upon our obedience and our faithfulness. And there are other promises that are just based upon the faithfulness of God. And you can see this as we deal with the children of Israel. Uh, Ezekiel 37, would you stand with me? We'll be at the end of the chapter. I want to read this portion of Scripture because it leads into an amazing prophecy in Ezekiel 38 and 39. Ezekiel 37, beginning at verse number 21, And say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will take the children of Israel from among the heathen, whither they be gone, and will gather them on every side, and bring them into their own land. And we are witnessing the fulfillment of this. God is gathering the Jews from the nations of the earth. He's bringing them back to the land of Israel, preparing them for end-time events. He says, And I will make of them one nation in the land upon the mountains of Israel, and one king. And so uh, here, one nation, God would combine both Judah and Israel together. One nation, no more two nations, but one nation. Uh, we've seen the fulfillment of this. And now he says, And one king shall be king to them all. This is King Jesus, and it speaks of the millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they shall be no more two nations, Neither shall they be divided into two kingdoms anymore at all. Neither shall they defile themselves anymore with their idols. This speaks of a spiritual revival that will come to this nation. This is yet future uh, that uh, Israel will be converted to the Lord, recognize Jesus as Messiah. He says, nor with their detestable things, nor with any of their transgressions, but I will save them out of all their dwelling places wherein, wherein they have sinned and will cleanse them. And so shall they be my people, and I will be their God. What an amazing prophecy that God has given of this spiritual revival. And David, my servant, shall be king over them. And again, this is referring to King Jesus who sits upon the throne of David. And they all shall have one shepherd. And they also shall walk in my judgments and observe my statutes and do them. And they shall dwell in the land that I have given unto Jacob my servant, wherein your fathers have dwelt. And they shall dwell therein, even they and their children, their children's children, forever. This is an eternal covenant. And my servant David shall be their prince forever. This is, again, King Jesus. Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them, and it shall be an everlasting covenant with them. And I will place them and multiply them, will set my sanctuary in the midst of them forevermore. My tabernacle also shall be with them, yea, I will be their God, they shall be my people, and the heathen shall know it. And so God will use the nation of Israel as a testimony to all of the world. The heathen shall know that I, the Lord, do sanctify Israel, 
when my sanctuary shall be in the midst of them forevermore. Now, what we're going to do tonight is we're moving into chapters 38 and 39. Uh, once again, and you're going to see as God now, because of this everlasting covenant, God puts a hedge and a protection about his nation, about his people. Uh, when you fight against Jerusalem, you fight against Israel, you fight against God. And you never fight against God and ever win the battle. That becomes very clear here in the Word of God. So with that, let's go to the Lord in prayer this evening. And you ask the Lord for his way here tonight. We're going to come back at the end tonight and make some very practical applications to our lives this evening. Father, we thank you for this uh, wonderful opportunity tonight, for your presence in this place. Uh, we're reminded this is my Father's world. And Lord, as we look about us, uh, the birds that sing and the stars and the sky and just the handiwork of God everywhere, and we see that evidence. But Lord, as we look to the nation of Israel, we see the evidence of your handiwork. And we see, Lord, the fulfillment of your promises. And you're not only the God of the universe, you're the God of nations. You're the God of history, and all history is your story. And I thank you, Lord, for these marvelous, wonderful promises given many, many years ago that we are having the privilege of witnessing their fulfillment before our very eyes. Lord, meet with us tonight. Help us as we make practical applications. I pray that uh, you would just do an eternal work in this place. In Jesus' wonderful, precious name, amen. And you may be seated uh, this evening. And as we march on into chapters 38 and 39 here tonight, um, this covenant of God is going to be put to a test in, I believe, the very near future. Uh, we started on Sunday night just kind of uh, delving into this section of Scripture. It's one of the most amazing prophecies in all of the Word of God. Uh, one of the things that proves to me that the Bible is God's Word, uh, prophecy and fulfilled prophecy. And if you doubt that God is real, you have but to look here in this portion of Scripture in Ezekiel 38 and 39, and you can see the very real testimony of a living God that is marching this world to fulfill His purpose. Now, here in chapters 38 and 39, it tells of a mighty army that is going to come against Israel. This is yet future. We have yet to see the fulfillment of this passage of Scripture. As this army comes against the nation of Israel, and in particular marching towards Jerusalem, it is going to appear humanly impossible for Israel, Jerusalem, to survive. But what God tells us is He will intervene to protect His people. He will protect His name. And as a result, He will reveal to the heathen and to the nation of Israel that He is the living God. If you look in chapter 37 and verse number 28, He concludes this chapter and He says, As a result of what I do with this nation, the heathen shall know that I, the Lord, do sanctify or set apart Israel when my sanctuary shall be in the midst of them forevermore. Uh, God has always been interested in His glory. In fact, the Lord made you and I that we might bring glory unto Him. And the Bible says of the Lord Jesus, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. And we see that so evident in the nation of Israel. They were created and set apart and sanctified for the very purpose of God, for His glory. Now I want to just review some of the things that we dealt with on Sunday night and we're going to march here tonight to really the meat of this chapter. 
Uh, the first part of chapter 38, we read about the enemies of Israel. I'm just going to quickly review over this. It is amazing. Uh, 2,600 years ago, this prophecy is given. And yet the very enemies of Israel in this portion of Scripture are allied today against the nation of Israel. And God just uh, miraculously, in His foreknowledge, told of these enemies. Now, the first portion here of chapter 38 and the first four verses really is dealing in particular with Russia. And he mentions Gog here in verse number 2. And Gog is the end-time ruler of the northern empire. And uh, we know and historians have believed that this would be the end-time leader of Russia. Uh, he mentions Magog. Again, that is identified with Russia. Uh, even Josephus, a first century Jewish historian, identified Magog with Russia. And you can go back into Genesis chapter 10, verses 1 through 3, and you can see these uh, brothers, these names of these uh, particular ones. And we know from history that they migrated into the region that is now known as Russia. That's been recognized by historians through the ages. Uh, he mentions in these verses Meshach. Meshach is uh, now Moscow, the modern-day capital of western Russia, uh, Moscow. And Tubal, Tobolsk, uh, is the capital of eastern Russia. And it's very evident here that Russia is going to be the leader in this future attack against Israel. Now, we know uh, Russia is a communist nation, and we know that communism uh, is an atheistic nation, and an atheistic nation is always opposed to God and to God's people. And so it would be natural, Israel, the natural enemy of Russia because of their theological background, uh, which is that of atheism. Now here as we move on in this portion of Scripture, uh, he gives the names beginning at verse number 5 of other nations that are going to be in alliance with Russia. He mentioned Persia. 1932, Persia was changed to modern-day Iran. Isn't this amazing? 2,600 years ago, and yet these very names are, tilt, are today applicable. Now, you know that Iran is very anti-Semitic. Uh, the leadership of Iran has made it very clear that they want to wipe Israel off of the face of the map. In fact, uh, their maps do not even recognize the nation of Israel. Uh, they are so opposed to Israel, anti-Semitic to the very core. Uh, this Persia would include parts of Iraq. He mentions Ethiopia, largely an Islamic uh, 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 African country. It's south of Egypt. He mentions Libya, again, largely is Islamic area uh, west of Egypt. And so there will be these groups of uh, Islamic African nations that will join forces with Russia, uh, with Iran. Uh, he mentions Gomer, and Gomer refers uh, to Germany and uh, Germany and all of his bands. And this is the reunified uh, Germany. And then Togarma uh, would be Turkey and the former Russian republics. And then I believe according to Daniel chapter 11 and comparing all of this, Egypt will be involved in this final war that will come against Israel. Now this is going to be a large confederacy against Israel. Uh, the situation will not look good. It will look as if Israel is about to be obliterated. Now very interesting as we pointed out on Sunday night, all of these nations that are mentioned in this passage of Scripture already have anti-Semitic leanings today. 
and that anti-Semitism within these nations is growing. Uh, they're communist, they're Muslim in background, which rejects the living God of the Bible. All of these nations have some sort of an alliance to this day with Russia. There are various peace or alliances that have been signed, economic alliances, military alliances with all of these nations that are mentioned. Again, this is a miracle that 2,600 years ago God would name all of these nations and they would be the very ones in this end time war. It's not the Battle of Armageddon. I believe it's pre-Armageddon, but in this war that would come against Israel. This is God and His doing that puts this together. Uh, he saw this, Ezekiel saw this many, many years ago. Those are the enemies of Israel. As we read on in this portion of Scripture, we see the attack against Israel. This confederacy of nations will come against Israel. The Bible describes it here in the latter days. Let's pick up here chapter 38, and if you'll read with me, beginning in verse number 8. He says, After many days thou shalt be visited in the latter years. Thou shalt come into the land that is brought back from the sword and gathered out of many people against the mountains of Israel, uh, which have been always waste, but it is brought forth out of the nations, and they shall dwell safely, all of them. He goes on to say, Thou shalt ascend and come like a storm. Thou shalt be like a cloud to cover the land, thou and all thy bands, and many people with thee. Thus saith the Lord God, It shall also come to pass that at the same time shall things come into thy mind, and thou shalt think an evil thought. And so they're going to come at a time of relative peace. In verse number 11, it tells us, Thou shalt say, I will go up to the land of unwalled villages, I will go to them that are at rest, that dwell safely, all of them dwelling without walls and having neither bars nor great gates. And uh, you read here about these statements. It's led many to believe that this attack will take place toward the end of the first half of the tribulation after the peace treaty is signed by Antichrist and these Arab nations. And uh, toward the end of that three and a half years, uh, some believe that this attack will take place. Now, I believe personally that's probably when it's going to happen, though I don't think we can be dogmatic about it. I can be dogmatic about this. It will happen. It will take place. And uh, so whatever time frame that is. But some believe this would then break that peace treaty uh, initiated by Antichrist. And verse number 12, their motive in coming would be to take a spoil. He says, to take a spoil, to take a prey, to turn thine hand upon the desolate places that are now inhabited and upon the people that are gathered out of the nations which have gotten cattle and goods that dwell in the midst of the land here. So they would come to take a spoil. If you look on a map, Israel is really the center and the heart of that part of the world. And I believe biblically, Israel is the center of the world in the eyes of the Lord. It's the center of our, of our earth. And uh, Israel, who controls the, he who controls Israel will control the Middle East. And we know the oil supplies of the Middle East. And we know that Russia is hungry for oil. And here the Bible speaks that their motive will be to come and to take a spoil out of that land. Uh, look, if you'll skip to verse number 14 of Ezekiel 38 and, and kind of a restatement that clarifies and it's very clear this is going to be Russia. Verse 14, Therefore, son of man, prophesy, say unto Gog, Thus saith the Lord God, In that day when my people of Israel dwelleth safely, shalt thou not know it? 
And thou shalt come from thy place out of the north parts. Now, if you look on a map, you go directly north of Israel. It's going to take you right through Turkey and on into Russia. And these are two of the parts that are going to be involved. Thou and many people with thee, all of them riding upon horses, a great company and a mighty army. And thou shalt come up against my people of Israel. As a cloud to cover the land, it shall be in the latter days. And I will bring thee against my land, that the heathen may know me. What God is saying, I'm going to allow this to happen. I'm going to allow these armies in order to show the world and to show the heathen that I am God. Again, you do not fight against God and ever win the battle. When I shall be sanctified in thee, O Gog, he says, before their eyes. And so we have here this attack against Israel. Now, very briefly, last week in verse number 13, we looked at the allies of Israel. Uh, he mentions here Sheba and Dinan. And again, we know from history that this is Saudi Arabia, and this is that region of the Arab world that would include Oman, Yemen, the United Arab Emirates, the UAE. And very interestingly, during the Trump administration, there were the Abrahamic Accords, the very nations involved as allies of Israel here in this portion of Scripture are the very nations that are involved in the Abrahamic Accord. Isn't that interesting? Uh, the very enemies of Israel are today enemies of Israel, the ones coming in this war against Israel. The very ones that will support Israel are the very ones that were involved in the Abrahamic Accords. Again, Ezekiel, 2,600 years ago, looking to these facts, predicted this. Uh, these nations coming uh, against Israel. This Abrahamic Accord recognized that our enemy is not Israel, but it is Iran. And the Abrahamic Accords backed Israel's right to exist. That is contrary to the Muslim world. Uh, Israel's right to Jerusalem, the Abrahamic Accords. These nations signed this peace treaty recognizing Israel's right to Jerusalem, Israel's right to the Golan Heights. And again, all of this prophesied of these confederacies years ago. Now, joining these pro-Israel Arab nations, he mentions Tarshish here in verse number 16, or verse 13. A lot of people have related this to England and possibly to Spain. And then he mentions our young lions, and some have said if this is England, that might involve the United States as part of the alliance. And I think according to Daniel chapter 11, there's a very good chance that there would be this ten-nation revived Roman confederacy uh, over which the Antichrist will lead and rule. And so it seems evident at that point uh, that that would be a part of the alliance uh, for Israel or in favor of Israel. These uh, today... Uh, Saudi Arabia, the UAE, these are pro-Arab Israel nations right now that will support Israel during this final war. Now here's where I want to go tonight, and this becomes so very crucial. As this war takes place, as these nations come from the north, and then the Arab nations and the Egyptian uh, nations from the south, as they come against Israel, uh, you're going to see the hand of God miraculously. God will intervene on behalf of Israel. That becomes so very clear in this portion. See, it's my conviction when God brought Israel back to their land, the nation in 1948 was formed, became a nation miraculously. 
I believe from that point it will never be taken away. I believe God is in charge. God is fighting on behalf of Israel. And even as you look at history since 1948, every time the Arab world has tried to kick Israel into the sea, Israel has expanded their territory. There's no explanation for it other than God fought on their behalf. And so it will be miraculously during this war that God will fight. God will defend them. Look in chapter 38, verse number 18. It says, It shall come to pass at the same time when Gog shall come against the land of Israel, saith the Lord God. Notice the statement that my fury shall come up in my face. God says, For in my jealousy and the fire of my wrath I have spoken. So God will defend Israel. As you read through this portion of Scripture, the very means by which God will defend Israel is very evident. Are evident. This is the hand of God. Uh, it seems in verse number 19 and 20 uh, that there will be some sort of earthquake. He said, For in my jealousy and the fire of my wrath have I spoken. Surely in that day there shall be a great shaking in the land of Israel. So that the fishes of the sea, the fowls of the heaven, the beasts of the field, all creeping things that creep upon the earth, and all the men that are upon the face of the earth shall shake at my presence, and the mountains shall be thrown down, the steep places shall fall, and every wall shall fall to the ground. And so here God will intervene, and it appears here an earthquake to fight against the armies coming against Israel. In verse number 38, our chapter 38, verse 21, Almost a, a military coup. He says, And I will call for a sword against him throughout all my mountains, saith the Lord God. Notice the statement, Every man's sword shall be against his brother. Almost appears that there will be a confusion and that the allies will turn against one another in the war. Kind of reminds me of Second Chronicles chapter 20, verses 22 through 25, when Moab and the Ammonites came against Israel during the days of Jehoshaphat. And we read of that battle when they began to sing, speaking of Judah, and to praise the Lord. The Lord set ambushments against the children of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, which were come against Judah, and they were smitten. For the children of Ammon, Moab, stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, utterly to slay and to destroy them. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of the Mount Seir, everyone helped to destroy another. And when Judah came toward the watchtower in the wilderness, they looked unto the multitude, and behold, there were dead bodies fallen to the earth, and none escaped. And when Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away the spoil of them, they found among them an abundance, both riches and dead bodies and precious jewels. And he describes that they were three days in gathering the spoil. Now that was a previous time in Israel's history when God... Uh, confounded the enemy, uh, they turned against each other, they began to slay one another, uh, they were left dead, and by the time Judah arrived, the battle was already over. And so it appears very similarly, God will cause a confusion against this alliance, there will be the earthquake, there will be natural disasters, and it appears this enemy will turn against each other so that Israel will be defended by the very hand of God. Uh, look in chapter 38, verse number 22, speaks of a pestilence, and I will plead against him with pestilence. This would be diseases, COVID, uh, extreme cases, and uh, pestilence coming against them. Chapter 38, verse number 22. And uh, with blood I will rain upon him, upon his bands, upon the many people that are with him, and overflowing rain and great hailstones, fire, 
and brimstone, flooding and hail and natural disasters and some have uh, described possible even nuclear reaction or maybe lightning, thunder, but the fires that will result. And it's going to be evident that as these armies come against Israel, all hope for Israel is gone except God intervenes and miraculously wins the battle on behalf of the nation of Israel. Now, friend, I, I can't tell you exactly when this is going to happen, but I can tell you it will happen, and I can tell you God will be glorified. If you look at the extent of the destruction that God brings against these nations, look in chapter 39, in verse number 1, uh, as you read about this, uh, this destruction, he says, Therefore thou, son of man, prophesy against Gog, and say, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against thee. Again, if you're against God, uh, he's against you. I am against thee, O Gog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, and I will turn thee back and leave but the sixth part of thee. So it's evident that in this army, as this war takes place, five-sixths of this army is going to be destroyed. I will leave the, but the sixth part of thee and will cause thee to come up from the north parts and will bring thee upon the mountains of Israel. Uh, in verse number 3, And I will smite thy bow out of thy left hand. I will cause thine arrows to fall out of thy right hand. And thou shalt fall upon the mountains of Israel, thou and all thy bands and the people that is with thee. All of this uh, conglomeration of nations, they will fall. And I will give thee into the ravenous birds every sort as the beasts of the field to be devoured. And so God will gather the birds and the beasts of the field to eat their dead bodies. Uh, the extensive, so extensive will be the destruction that if you look in chapter 39 verse number 9. He says, They that dwell in the cities of Israel shall go forth and shall set thee on fire and burn the weapons, both the shields, the buckles, the bows, the arrows, the handstaves, the spears, and they shall burn them with fire seven years. So extensive will be this destruction, seven years in burning the weapons and using those weapons for fuel so that they shall take no wood out of the field, neither cut down any of the forests. For they shall burn the weapons with fire. They shall spoil those that spoiled them, rob those that robbed them, saith the Lord God. Now some use this to say because of the seven years that this battle must be at the beginning of the tribulation. Uh, I don't think that necessarily means so. I, I believe, let's say, it's in the midst of the tribulation. Uh, three and a half years left through the tribulation. And then we get to the millennial reign of Christ. And there's no uh, reason that uh, there would not be the need for fuel in the millennial reign of Christ. Now, again, I don't know how it all fit. But I know it's going to fit together as God wins this battle. And then notice in chapter 39, so extensive will be this destruction in verse number 11. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will give unto Gog a place there of graves in Israel, the valley of the passengers on the east of the sea, and it shall stop the noses of the passengers. And that would just, I think, speak of the stench that will come from the dead bodies. And there shall they bury Gog and all of his multitude, and they shall call it the valley of Hammon Gog. He goes on to describe, verse number 12, seven months shall the house of Israel be burying of them. That will be how extensive this destruction is, that they may cleanse the land. And he goes on to describe that they will actually hire people, uh, that their job will be to go and find the bodies of this army and to bury those bodies that will be a part of their duties, of their job. That's how extensive this judgment and destruction of God upon these enemies of Israel will be. Now, I want you to see in all of this what God does. Go back to chapter 38 
and verse number 23. We mentioned that there would be God glorifying His name. In chapter 38, verse 23, God said, Thus will I magnify Myself and sanctify Myself. And I will be known in the eyes of many nations, and they shall know that I am the Lord. Uh, this, the book of Psalms says the Lord is known by the judgment which he executed. You go on to chapter 39 and verse number 6. And I will send a fire on Magog and among them that dwell carelessly in the isles. And they shall know that I am the Lord. So will I make my holy name known in the midst of my people Israel. I will not let them pollute my holy name anymore. Chapter 39, verse 13. Yea, all the people of the land shall bury them. It shall be to them a renown the day that I shall be glorified, saith the Lord God. We go to chapter 39, verse number 21. And I will set my glory among the heathen. All the heathen shall see my judgment that I have executed my hand that I have laid upon them. And so God will prove through this war that He is God. And the world will look upon this and they will say, this is none other, this is the hand of God. This is a miracle. This is something impossible that only God could do. And then of the children of Israel, in 39 verse number 22, it says, so the house of Israel shall know that I am the Lord their God from that day and forward. Uh, God will reveal Himself to the nation of Israel. And He says, from that day forward, this nation will know that I am God. I believe this is the timing that they will then begin to turn to Jesus Christ as the Messiah. This is why some believe that this will happen just before the midpoint of the tribulation and perhaps Antichrist will claim responsibility for this, enter into the rebuilt Jewish temple, there proclaim himself to be God and the Jews will recognize that he is not God, that he's a false Messiah and they will be turned to Jesus whom they have pierced and there will be a glorious Revival in the midst of the land as the nation of Israel turns to the Lord God. Look in chapter 39, verse 28. Chapter 39, verse 28. Then shall they know that I am the Lord their God, which caused them to be led into captivity among the heathen. But I have gathered them unto their own land, if left none of them any more there. Neither will I hide my face any more from them, for I have poured out my spirit upon the house of Israel, saith the Lord God. What a mighty revival is born out of this miracle that God begins to work. It seems that God will use this event to draw the nation of Israel to Himself, and they will know that He is Lord. Now, I want to get down to you and I. As we look at this passage of Scripture, what a miracle. There are lessons that God gives us in His protection. As we've mentioned and we read these Scriptures, God has an eternal covenant with Israel. They did not earn it. They did not deserve it. It was God's gift. It was God's grace. And so it is with those that are saved. If you've been saved, you were saved by grace. You're kept by grace. God has established with you an everlasting covenant. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. And you don't keep it. It's God's grace. Now that covenant with you is an unbroken covenant. Now it's very clear to know the blessings of God and to be prepared 
for the judgment seat of Jesus Christ, there is an act of obedience. There is importance. You'll notice the nation of Israel. When they rebelled against God, there were consequences. There was the chastening hand of the Lord. But God never let go. When they followed the Lord and blessed the Lord, they knew the blessings of God and how similar that is for the people of God, for those who know the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there is a principle that I want to get to tonight that is so very crucial. God protects His own. He will always protect His own. Now, I'm not a pacifist tonight by any means. Uh, I think it was Ronald Reagan that said a nation ought to walk softly but carry a big stick. And I think that a nation ought to defend itself, and I'm very concerned about our nation and where we're headed. But I think more importantly is our nation has departed from God. I also believe in the Second Amendment. And I believe a father ought to protect his family. I believe a father ought to protect his young. I I have no problem with that. I, I believe in the Second Amendment, by the way, was established to carry or keep from an oppressive government overriding the people as did happen in Nazi Germany, if you look to the heart of that. Now, I believe all of those things. But I also believe tonight that if you belong to the Lord, God protects his own. God keeps his own. God holds you in his care. God said to Abraham, I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. And friend, when you have an eternal covenant with the Lord, no weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper and every tongue that shall rise in uh, judgment against thee thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their righteousness is of me. That's Isaiah 54 and verse number 17. I'd like you very quickly tonight to go with me to Romans chapter 8 and we'll finish with this thought here tonight from Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter 8 in verse number 31, this statement is made, What shall we say then to these things or then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us. Isn't that a wonderful promise? Abraham Lincoln said, I care not so much as to whether God is on my side. Am I on God's side? And when you belong to the Lord, you're on the side of the Lord. The Bible is very clear. Uh, If God be for us, who can be against us? And we need to be reminded of that in days to come. Because I I believe if the Lord tarries His return, uh, there are going to be some persecution and battles that Christians are going to have to deal with. And uh, there are issues that are coming before. Let me express, it doesn't matter to me where you are on this vaccination, but you ought to be opposed to a vaccination passport. You really ought to be opposed to that. And and everything that's coming forth and heading down the pike here, I, I believe the oppression that are coming upon God's people all over the world China today, uh, they have used this passport in order to delve into the hearts of churches and they have persecuted Christians as a result of this type of passport. This is coming all over the world today if the Lord tarries his coming. But if God be for you, who can be against you? The Lord fights for us. Notice in verse 35, he says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness, or peril, or sword. As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. 
For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Friend, that's a passage that God proved to the nation of Israel uh, through that everlasting covenant. It's a passage that if you belong to the Lord, there will be nothing that can separate you from the love of Jesus Christ. And you can mark that down. God is faithful. He will always be faithful. He's faithful to His promises. God will protect His own. God will keep His own. He protects His children. He will never leave us nor forsake us. And again, it's a dangerous thing to go against a child of God. And I believe with all of my heart that when governors and leaders of our nation began to stand against churches, that was a dangerous thing. It was a dangerous thing to begin to close churches because they're fighting against God. And you don't ever fight against the Lord and win the battle. God will protect His own. God will keep His own. And so let me just give that thought. If God be for us, who can be against us? God proved that through the nation of Israel. He'll prove that during the time of tribulation when this battle comes against us or against them. Let's go to the Lord.